0: Welcome to Heatwork Episode 4. My name is Alex Slidell, and my pronouns are they, them. This is the first episode diving into Queercat 2023, an event we touched on briefly in previous episodes. As a reminder, Queercat was the first LGBTQIA led wood firing at East Creek Art in Willamina, Oregon. Over 50 new and seasoned queer artists came to experience this hands on wood firing weekend of community oriented programming entirely for free. Because this event became so much more than just a firing, it felt impossible to talk about it in one episode. Today, we'll be discussing how we made it happen. Next time, we'll be talking about the firing itself, from arrival to unload. In the final episode, we'll discuss our goals for the future of QueerCat. Our two special guests on today's episode are Twig Cosby, he they, and Arminda Mindy Gandara, she her. We'll be joined by my two co-hosts, Aubrey Sloan, she, her, and Mandy Stigant, she, her. Without further ado, Twig and Mindy will tell you a little bit about themselves.
1: everyone excited to have Mindy and Twig with us today. It's going to be a really awesome three-part episode series coming up and we're going to be talking about the program that Alex and Twig organized. We've been talking about it for the past couple of episodes and we're excited to talk more about the Queer Cat how it went, how it started what's next. So excited to share all those episodes with you. We're going to start with introductions of Twig and Mindy. So Mindy, do you want to start us off?
2: Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Arminda Gandera. You'll probably hear me be referred to as Mindy. I am owner and founder of Colectivo Consulting, which is a grant writing and program design firm. I'm based currently in Hawaii, but work on the West Coast and also in the islands of Hawaii. I came to know the wonderful people on this podcast through East Creek, which is our wood firing community and have done grant writing and program design work for East Creek art. And we're about to incorporate our nonprofit, which is exciting. And so we've seen a lot of really awesome incremental growth and have found these different ways to support and be in community with artists. I think one of the things that's important for me always to state when I talk about this work, because it is so money driven is that it is based and rooted in strong values around access and equity and being able to create spaces where all people feel welcome and are able to highlight or explore their excellence through the making of art. I myself am an artist and educator. I get to touch clay every once in a while and doing this work of program design and community building I do consider part of my practice, my social practice. And yeah, I'm grateful to be able to be in discussion with you guys.
1: I do have to just say Mindy is a powerhouse in what she described around focusing on access and equity for arts. I think she works with five or six different nonprofits and helps support them getting funding. So you're really awesome. It's a really honor to work with you and just want to make sure that (laughs) that's out there. Thank you, Aubrey.
0: And Mindy offered her services to help us with Queer Cat, with writing the grants, you looked over those, you helped us with feedback on that, and it was crucial to have you a part of our little team. Thank
2: you. I'm really happy to have helped, and I know we'll get into this more. But it was a beautiful program. I'm really proud of you guys.
3: Twig, you wanna share? My name is Twig. I use he/him and they/them pronouns. I'm a Potter and a ceramics educator, and I co-facilitated the Queer Cat Firing with Alex Slidell. I got involved with East Creek a couple of years ago where I learned about wood fire and I've been hooked on that ever since. And I'm just so excited to be able to talk about the experience of conceiving of Queer Cat, seeking funding, planning the event, hosting the event, and talking about the impact that it had in the queer community, our area, Portland, the Pacific Northwest, and beyond. Yeah, that's awesome. We're glad you're here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's really exciting. I think
1: one great place to start would just start from the beginning. We've been talking about it a lot, but just introduce how everything started. Alex has talked about it a bit on the past couple of episodes, but from y'all's perspective, how is this all born?
0: Well, Alex here again. It stemmed from many places all at once. In light and in reflection of the panel that some of us were on at the Northwest Woodfire Conference in the summer of 2022, so last year, right?
4: Just about a year ago, yeah.
0: Yeah, wow, yeah. So we were all on a panel that we've also mentioned on the podcast, but it was called Good Job, Do Better, and it was about critiquing wood fire spaces and challenging the social norms that a lot of communities just remain complacent in. And the panel also stemmed from back in, I believe, 2019, there was the Women's Wood Fire at East Creek, And then I had said to Aubrey, it would be really cool if we did a queer firing. And then I think the same day or the next day, Twig came up to us and was very excited about the panel. And we all hatched this idea at the conference, I think. And then it just naturally evolved and snowballed into a very amazing thing. Twig, do you want to take over? Maybe like your perspective on how you felt after listening to the panel and what your thoughts were about how you wanted to engage with the community because of that.
3: Yeah. From what I can remember, after seeing the panel, I feel like there were all of these ideas floating around of what could we do next? And I just remember the two of us kind of milling around out by my car at lunchtime And I think that you had brought up, Alex, the idea of some kind of queer firing, and I was like, yeah, that would be so cool. I'm not sure if I said it explicitly at the time, or if I was just thinking it, but I was very interested in taking part in that. I would have been so excited to be in a leadership role, but then either later that night, or it might have been the next day, I remember that Aubrey came up to me and asked if I wanted to spearhead the project with you. So it felt like this very, like, serendipitous thing. And even before Alex and I started talking about the idea, I feel like while I was watching the panel, I was having these ideas myself of, it would be so cool if we did a queer firing at East Creek. I wish I could do that, but I didn't really know how to get involved or how to start that. So for me, it felt very serendipitous that everything aligned in this way and we were all just on the same page and wanted the same things it was really exciting
0: and it was sort of like well why not literally I think Aubrey was like why don't we do this there was no hesitation with East Creek and everything
1: well and I knew Mindy would be like hell yeah, let's write grants. She'd be stoked. Yeah. And I, I'm i sure I called her probably because she was in Hawaii during the conference. She did the conference virtually. So I'm sure she was like, of course, yes, that's awesome. Let's <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And then I think we met up. We made plans. We talked about it a little bit more, but really, I think we talked about it. And then we're like, let's meet up. And Mindy found a couple of grants that she was like, oh, these would be good ones to try for that we'd have a good opportunity of getting and she'd supported on writing a lot of them for other people. So and we met up and and talked about that stuff.
4: Yeah. I have a question that relates to the early planning stages of this. And this this comes from a conversation Twig and I had a couple of months ago leading up to the Queer Cat firing when some deadlines were fast approaching with getting everything, all the planning things in place. And One thing that Twig mentioned was that you all were still framing what you wanted to do with this firing, what kind of firing it was going to be and who all was going to be involved and what kind of event it was going to be. But word got out maybe before you all were ready for it to. And then you had all the queer people in the Northwest beating down your door, wanting to be involved with it. And and so it sort of blew up into this thing, possibly a much bigger thing than you were planning on at all, and certainly much sooner than you were ready for it to blow up. So do you all have, in the moment and post-mortem, thoughts about how that happened and what you might try to do to mitigate that kind of situation, (laughs) (laughs) or what you did do to mitigate that situation?
3: Well, I think that the biggest challenge that we faced was not being intentional about how we designed the sign-up. Because I think that as the word of the event got out and as things evolved, we were not compromising on our initial plans. But I do remember in the first couple of times that we met to talk about this, I know that Alex and I met up for coffee to look for grants at least one time. And then we met with Aubrey at East Creek, I think once or twice, to look for grants and talk about logistics and things. And I remember this moment that Aubrey asked the both of us because she was helping us to walk through some of the planning things and we collaborated on some of our ideas. But yeah, I remember this pivotal moment where Avery asked, how do you want to negotiate the sign up?" And Alex and I thought, yeah, we don't need a website. We don't need to like collect anyone's information. We don't need an application. That's not what this is about. But that I think is something that we would need to do differently next time And you know, we like started by having caps on the number of people who would be participants in our workshops and we had the cube cap. So we were expecting that everyone would get one to three cubes depending on what their role was in the firing. And it did end up working out in that way. Pretty much everyone got around at least one cube. Some people got a little bit more, some people didn't have as much work, but those were the parameters that we set so, fortunately, the event was able to grow without really challenging those parameters. But I think the challenge was not having a centralized, organized sign up list or very clear boundaries of like, okay, we can't accept more people than this number, possibly. Because we did actually expand the capacity of our workshops to accommodate more people, which I think was to a great effect. I think all the people that we met in our workshops were just wonderful. And we've seen them continue to get acquainted with our community. And well, it feels like they are really integrated. And I can see people who have found access continuing on already in different little subsections of our community. So Yeah, I feel really good about that. But I think if we were to organize another event like this, figuring out how to accept applicants would be my prime concern to work on on the logistics side. (laughs) I don't know what you think about that, Alex.
0: (laughs) I agree. I do want to just point out one thing, a little side note, is that I think it's when we met to figure out these logistics and the budget and the grant funding and stuff. I think maybe that's when we realized that it wasn't just the firing. It's then these, we keep mentioning these workshops spawned out of that, I suppose.
1: You know, when you're talking about this, Alex, the layout and the structure that we placed out, because I took notes while y'all were talking through that just to capture some of those things so you could freeform it rather than trying to directly outline. And we just went who, what, when, where, why, how. The basic questions just like prompt, because that's pretty much all of the things you have to think about and all the questions that people ask on grants generally. And it was pretty wild and cool to watch you two think about the who question and the why question or the two questions that really like cued off all of this. This isn't just a farm. We don't want to just be about the work, but access and all of those things. And then you're like, who do we want it to be just artists who are already in the community who are firing and then you're like no we want it to be ceramic people who've never got access to wood firing. and then you're like but also wouldn't it be so great if people who'd never touch clay who are other artists could do it and then you started forming all of these goals around that idea and you were successful in doing it
0: i'm glad you said that because you're right we just laid it out and then we were like well. I always think of this phrase that bothers me that comes to mind. Form follows function. They said it to me all through art school. I think that phrase annoyed me a lot because I didn't never really understood it. We looked at what we needed and we built that, essentially. It, it sounded to me, and you can correct me if
4: I'm wrong, but because it became so big, there were more participants than you maybe initially anticipated, a lot more. And, and given the size of the kiln, It was probably more people than you would typically put on a crew for that kiln. And so it it became so much bigger than the firing itself. I mean, you had the firing as this maybe a slight focal point, but there was a lot more going on there. You all planned this entire program around this, this whole weekend of just event happening, and the firing almost became just one part of that whole event rather than the only thing going on.
1: Well, and I think in the early planning, the amount of people was kind of important, but I think when y'all were talking about it, that wasn't a big, it was something to think about, like, will there be enough people? Will there be enough space? But in those initial like plannings, I don't really remember that being a huge, it was definitely something that was thought about, but your focus was really keyed in on your values and goals. And then you developed around it and let the community fill in and form the program. You really had a lot of flexibility built in and you kept those focuses
2: on access, which was really good. And I think too, like it's a really good model for how artists can create something that an institution isn't already offering. They're conceiving of and innovating themselves. And then to see that trigger effect of engagement, right? People were so ready to sign up. They so wanted to be a part of this. The need was so great. It was obvious the second people could start signing up, it was obvious that people really wanted to do this. And sometimes that's not the case in Instagram communities. Sometimes that is not the case when you are running workshops and you're also trying to run a business and you're doing all these different things. So to see that from a program design perspective is really important because it means that it was relevant, but it also means that it was necessary. It hadn't been done before and it benefited the lives of many artists. That's paradigm shifting. That's really awesome.
0: I would want to say one thing to bounce off that and also to answer the question that Twig asked me a while back about how do I maybe see us changing a little bit about how we approach things. And it's It was a lot of work. We needed a whole committee. We needed a head of each thing. We needed to budget more money for stipends for ourselves. And I would have loved to have paid the other folks that helped us a lot as well. And yeah, I think it just speaks to the fact that it did snowball. At first we were like, are we going to have enough people signing up? And now we're like, holy crap. (laughs) It's like one cube a person, 60 cube. Roughly, you know, we said roughly... 60 cubic feet in this kiln. So we had about 60 participants.
3: Yeah, I think that idea of we don't need a sign up came both out of not recognizing how much interest that there would be in this event. And then also because we didn't want there to feel like there was a barrier to entry. I know personally, I didn't want to have to sift through people's names and decide who gets to be here and who doesn't and figure out what the criteria for choosing that was. So I'm not sure how we would approach it in the future. All I know is that it did get a little bit chaotic quickly once people heard about it before we were really done with getting through the planning stages. But Alex was saying form follows function. So we wanted this to be and inclusive event, we wanted people to get involved. So as soon as people were interested, we started writing their names down. And, you know, possibly that ended up in us making promises a little bit too soon. But I don't think that the amount of people there was detrimental to the firing. I think because there were so many brand new folks there, it really was able to be just such a positive learning experience. And that was really what was centered, was putting the spotlight on each individual for a short amount of time to be like, you are the person that is getting in the kiln now. You've been watching me do it. Now you get to do your shelf. And that's, I think, something that was really special that happened that it sounds like, from what I've heard, nobody who was there had experienced anywhere else. And I think that allowed us to put community building to the forefront. So it was still very much centered around firing the kiln, but firing the kiln in a very different way and one of our participants came up to us at the end of the firing and said something to me and Alex that was just so poignant. And I wish that I could remember the exact wording. So Alex, you might have to help me out on this. But a huge theme that we kept coming back to during the firing was this idea of living in abundance. And I think that there was a lot of anxiety leading up to the firing that there would not be enough space for everyone, that people would be upset, people would feel pushed out. But in the end this idea of abundance is really reinforcing that there is enough space for everyone to be here and that's what one of our participants told us kind of as we were wrapping things up and that just felt so meaningful to me after feeling all of this anxiety around okay we wanted to make this a really special thing for everyone and i don't want to let everyone down to feel like we came full circle and that's what abundance is is that no matter how much there is, it is enough as long as we're sharing resources and putting community values first. Do you remember that, Alex?
0: Yeah, I do. I think I was just so emotional (laughs) by the whole experience, but also just that person's words. And I was just getting teary-eyed a moment ago too, thinking about just that, what you said about putting community first. And that doesn't mean that the pots and the firing got pushed to the wayside. We had a kick-ass firing. We got some kick-ass pots. Like you said, people got to not only place pots and shelves, they got to pull them out. People got to put in wood for the first time. People got to understand what's how we soda. And yeah, access, clay education, making spaces specifically LGBTQIA+. So there isn't a question. and. This is something that I've said on the podcast before and something that I say all the time as well is just because it's a queer space or queer friendly space doesn't always mean it's a safe space or a safe space for everybody. And we're striving to make it so. And I think that just what Twig said as well, considering each individual just made it so that everyone was considered. And I think there was an overwhelming positive experience so you keep coming back to this phrase that
4: we've all had beaten into us at one time or other in our art lives the form follows function do you think in this case maybe the form defined the function maybe that's what i was trying to say earlier (laughs) yeah i mean you've got the function of the firing but really the event that you planned wound up defining that firing rather than the other way around. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I feel like our initial thoughts around the function of this event really centered around creating access to clay education, creating access to wood fire, and reaching out to the queer community, which wood fire is not necessarily the most friendly to. It's a historically patriarchally dominated space, at least in the wood fire spaces that I've seen here in the US. And so those were really our goals of why does it matter that we're getting all of these queer people together to fire this kiln. And so it felt really important for us to hone in on that. And so yeah, I think that's why it had to evolve into something so much more Alex, you just said something that I really wanted to expand on, but I can't remember where we left off. And I was just so excited about using that as a jumping off point. Do you remember like the last three points that you made?
0: (laughs) I was talking about queer spaces not inherently being safe. Okay,
3: so queer spaces. Why did we need to make a queer space for Ceramic artists, for wood fire artists. I feel like I might be revealing too much by saying this, but even I was skeptical that this would have an impact. I I guess I was worried about that. I think that my level of operating as a queer person, I do think that there's this white noise that's present a lot of the time that makes me hyper aware of how I fit into social environments that sometimes I might notice and sometimes I might not. And I was worried that even though we're doing all this work, that it wouldn't end up mattering at the queer cat firing. Just because being queer means so many different things. How can I trust that I will be on a level playing field with another queer person? Because queer can mean just like anything. But I just felt this experience defied all of my expectations. Even beyond all of my hopes and dreams, I felt so welcome and at peace in this community of other queer artists. And that's not something I was necessarily expecting. I don't know, that sounds strange because as organizers, I feel like we're supposed to be the fearless leaders, very confident in these things and possibly not share too much about our worries and fears about how things will actually shake up. So it feels very vulnerable for me to say this, but I had never experienced anything like that. Just the total disappearance of anxieties that I just don't even have an awareness of a lot of the time, but they're there. And it just felt very powerful to be able to connect on such a genuine level.
4: It's so euphoric, isn't it? Yeah. When you realize that something that you didn't really acknowledge was there is just lifted like this hindrance that you didn't really fully consciously acknowledge is lifted away it's it's like a drug
2: yeah it was powerful i also think you're in this inadvertent secondary way also addressing the politics of wood firing because there's people that go into wood firing and they're so adept and confident and seasoned and all of these things and they're not intimidated by the anagama which is great i'm like must be nice can't relate but (laughs) (laughs) There's, you see these people and it's almost like, where do I, how do I situate myself within that context? I get to come to one firing a year if I'm lucky at this point. And sometimes it feels rusty and sometimes I feel shy and intimidated. And I remember when I went to my first other wood firing kiln out in Mendocino and I was like, this is so different. Everything is different and I'm uncomfortable. And I was working with people that weren't focused on welcoming people in and was working with people who are like we know this kiln we built it we're seasoned we know what we're doing and that is part of what we're always working towards at East Creek is being able to identify those moments or anticipate like people might feel uncomfortable at some point and we need to find a way to address it in a way where they're going to feel accepted and encouraged to engage wherever they are in their experience and their know-how right and so it's interesting to me that these two worlds are in conversation with you guys put them in conversation with each other which I think is beautiful but these same preoccupations these same fears these same hesitations exist in both of these spaces right so I think that's a beautiful place of convergence And to see you guys really be able to address and tackle both at the same time is kind of nuts. It's awesome, you know? (laughs) So, yeah.
3: Yeah, thank you for merging these two ideas. On the one level, being nervous to enter a new space and a new environment. And on the other level, the technical side of things, like feeling intimidated by actually participating in the event and the activity. I feel like I'm drawn back to this idea that was discussed during the panel at the Northwest Woodfire Conference of if you are of a marginalized identity, like at a baseline, sometimes when you enter a space, your confidence is already knocked down a peg. So coming against these barriers of I don't know how to do this just feels that much more intimidating because you're not starting with a full tank. And so I think on some level, that was why we wanted to structure this event in this way. Because I know Personally, I've felt a lot of fear like coming into these types of spaces for that reason. And so it feels very important to me to really walk people through things if I'm in the position of the educator. If I'm not able to release the fear and anxiety about being marginalized, at least I can release the fear and anxiety about you don't know how to do this thing. And hopefully that makes up for it. But it was kind of a double whammy at the Queer Cat firing because we were in this space surrounded by other queer artists and creating these opportunities to learn and even to make mistakes with no consequences, really. I mean, there was plenty of people there watching to make sure nothing terrible happened. Obviously, I don't want to (laughs) say that like, oh, just go in there and do whatever you want.
4: Well, but it wasn't like that. Yeah, it wasn't like that. (laughs) But it wasn't oppressively not like that. I mean, you all did a lot of front-end work to make sure, A, that things did go smoothly and nobody got hurt, but also that everybody there who was new to it, and there were a lot of them, there were a lot of people who were totally new to wood firing, some totally new to ceramics, and I never got the feeling that anybody was afraid to ask their questions or to ask for help or to ask for clarity. There was this exuberant curiosity, this open curiosity, and just wanting to learn, And as somebody who is chronically terrible at asking for help because of the fear you were just talking about, when you don't know what you're doing and you're in a space where everybody else seems to know what they're doing, my gut reaction is fake it. (laughs) just like (laughs) Pretend I know and then figure it out along the way. And so I think it bears mentioning the gargantuan amount of effort that you all put in to make a space where people didn't feel too intimidated to ask for that help and to ask those questions. And that takes a lot. That takes a lot of planning and that takes a lot of conversations and that takes a lot of active welcoming and and reaching out to people. And I mean, I just, that's huge. And and the amount of effort that you all put into that was huge. And I think that should be acknowledged.
1: Well, and you did a great, you know, it wasn't all new people, you know, we're really thinking and focusing on that, which was is key in the goal setting, but you broke it up where you set leaders in place, they were partnered together with people who had like the people who led each shift, and any other thing that was focused around the technical side, like the WAD squad, all these things, which we'll talk about in later episodes, how you broke all of that down. But there were a good percentage of people that were experienced so that People who weren't experienced did have the support that they needed, could ask questions. And I think you talked with all of these people and asked them to take on this role and shared your goals so that all of the leaders were in alignment about what you're trying to do. And so there wasn't this fronting thing because it's like, hey, there's lots of people who don't know. Y'all are the people that do, but that doesn't put you in a position to lord that over people, but rather to share that because we're trying to expand This experience and the people that you put in leadership roles and even yourselves, you you understand the challenges in stepping up in those roles in wood fire space specifically in any space. But thinking about wood firing as a culture and you've talked a lot about the traditionally patriarchal styles of it and that it makes it more challenging to get into that space. And so. I think that the atmosphere of that firing was really like, we want people to have opportunities at all levels to take on new leadership roles, to build their skills so that they could take on leadership roles in the future, and to become a part of the community, learn how to engage with Clay, find access points to just beginning. And you re- you touched all those levels for different people. And that's, I think, what made it even more impactful was everyone leveled up. One or two levels, because the experience was focused on making sure that it was allowing access to all those points for different people wherever they were at, which was really cool.
2: And I think, too, it's like important to point out that like there was also care for the resource. You guys treated the space with respect. You treated the kiln with respect. And that was palpable in everyone that was there. And to see that respect given to East, like, I really do believe in animism. I believe in that we have to imbue things with respect and love. And the care that you guys are showing each other was very much embodied in the way you treated space. And that's not always the case at East Creek. So to see that... <laughs> Wait,
4: what? <laughs> don't tell Joe. Don't tell Joe
2: I said that. But to see that care permeate these diff- in these different ways is really... Because wood firing's hard. People don't realize it's hard. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your mind. It can put you in difficult, tense situations with people that you usually get along with really well. There's a lot of asking for forgiveness and permission, all these different things built into it. And we fail at one of those things at some point in a firing every time. And that's okay. Failure is a part of the process. But to see people just so loving for each other and also just to be there. And the amount of care and this wraparound care was really beautiful to see. And uh, yeah, a different way to look at at wood firing, for sure.
3: No, thank you, Mindy. Yeah, it means so much to me that you would say all of those things because these are values that I hold really deeply. And just seeing that we were able to execute that and seeing that others felt that and it was seen, it's just, you're tugging on my heartstrings right now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Welcome to the mid-roll, where we'd like to take an opportunity to thank all those who made Queer Cat 2023 possible. To Clay Arts Center of Tacoma, Georgie's, Ceramic and Clay, Regional Arts and Culture Council, Oregon Arts Commission, East Creek Art, Joe Robinson, our GoFundMe donors, Morning Ceramics, Daffodil Studio, Ty and Shy, Nick Kessler, Vicki Martin, Benjamin Cahoon, our firing co-leads, volunteers, and participants. We couldn't thank you enough for your time, dedication, clay, food, kilns, space, love, and so much more. We'd also like to take a second to address a couple phrases used in this episode in order of appearance. The first being cube. When we say cube, one cube, three cubes, etc., we're referring to cubic feet, so a space of 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches, usually inside of the kiln. Knowing the cubic dimensions of the interior space of the kiln will help immensely when you're planning the firing. The second phrase is LGBTQIA+, which we've mentioned on the show before, but as a reminder, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, and beyond. I'm thinking too, Twig and I are both came to it as educators, but also as people who just love wood firing in general. And I think part of making the space feel like people can ask questions. We're really passing the baton or the torch here is just, at least for me, I love wood firing so much. I love clay. You cannot get me to shut up about it. And I want to share all the things that I know with the people around me because I know what it's like to be new in a wood fire space. Even though I love East Creek, it's still intimidating. You show up, you don't know where anything is. You don't know anybody. People are Going to and fro, there's the the meetings and stuff. But if you're not like Mandy, who fakes it till you make it, kind of, or like me, who I'm just pretty. I'm gonna point out, I rarely make it when I try to <laughs> fake it. Okay, <laughs> it doesn't work out. <laughs> well, I do not recommend that as a general <laughs> life practice. <laughs> Make it till you make it is also advice I got in college from a professor, so. Oh, yeah. Also, be in the right place at the right time. I feel like that is another thing. I don't know, like, you can help that. Anyway, but I feel like Twig and I being involved in this, I feel like we were all the right place at the right time. But anyway, just to finish up the point that I was thinking about. Was just that, yeah. I think we were very intentional with our communication, not only with each other, checking in on a daily how we're doing physically, but also like, okay, I got this. Making sure that things were in line, and I think it means a lot, yeah, Mindy, to hear you say that that you saw that, and I feel like it probably was visible to a lot of the participants, and I feel like, yeah, it just carried on and carried that air through the entire event and it was very cool to see folks seem quite comfortable by the end throwing wood in they know how to chop wood if they need if they want to also i think we had a strong focus on access and thinking about i'll speak for myself i'm disabled in a few different ways sometimes physically because of a wrist injury that's permanent for me and just not feeling shame around not being able to chop wood for well, not really, not supposed to do that at all, really. But, you know, if my wrist was bothering me carrying shelves, having to tap out. and there, I didn't feel there's an internal voice that's, that the internalized ableism that I have is telling me that I'm not as worth, mm-hmm. worthy if I can't physically do these things that wood firing demands. And that was another thing that I wanted to make sure to just nip in the bud and be like, No matter your physical ability or disability or mental ability or disability, we wanted to make sure that everybody had a place. Skill sharing. This was something we talked about a lot. Whatever skills you can bring to the table, it doesn't all have to be physical or it can be physical in different ways.
2: I think that mindset too is also part of that operating from a place of abundance, right? And that people have the skills that they need for us to be able to accomplish this together. There's not a hoarding of knowledge, nor is there a deficit. Everybody has something to bring to the table, including rest. Rest is so integral to good work, right? So I think, yeah, that's a part of that mindset of it's gonna get done, it's gonna get done well with everybody.
1: I think one thing that is, wood firing does take a lot of work and you brought a lot of hands with different abilities. And this particular program and programs like this, that the focus and the goal is on access and learning. They're so important to bring people into whatever level of engagement in the community that they want to have. And there's definitely kiln situations where people are firing for production and for all these things. And like, there's different ranges of how firings can happen. This specific firing is not how we'll always do every single firing, but it brings in these perspectives that are new, these styles of, Mindy, what was the word you were saying? Stewardship. Mm -hmm. That it's this mindset around the space and respecting the space and respecting people. It's a culture shift. And so a lot of these types of programs, it's not that it's every firing needs to have 60 people at one cubic foot each, but rather that we think about how we consider the community. What are the barriers to access? Why they exist? How do we make some of those shifts? And like these types of programs, obviously there was a huge need. There was so many people who wanted to participate. It was such a success. And just realizing, thinking about other wood firing spaces, things like this are a really great way to expand new ideas and grow. Some I feel like I don't exactly know what to say, but I guess I like want to think about that. There's all of this range of where different kilns are at with what they're going to be able to do, and realizing that you don't have to gatekeep to have success. And you can bring people in who've never participated and take the time to teach, and that that is so valuable. And thinking about perspectives that don't often get included because they're not loud enough, they don't fit in to the general culture. And the abundance piece being so key, of like, hey, there is enough. Grant funding is a really great thing to think about because there is funds to help bring in that abundance. I mean, this was a free thing. And so people didn't have to stress about resource. Anyways, thinking about all those things as we think about what this could mean for other communities and how they can implement and think about this type of stuff, it can be brought into all different arcs of how you might Consider firing, I guess. I don't know if that all makes sense or if it even fits into what we're thinking about. It just feels important to, I don't know, loop in in some ways as people are listening and thinking about how they might implement or do something like this.
3: No, it totally makes sense. And I feel like what your point is coming back to is leadership style, that certainly not all firing goals are going to be the same goals of the Queer Cat, which was primarily to increase access to clay education and build community among queer artists you're right some people have production style kilns and that's just what they need to prioritize when they're firing but i think what's important to me is coming back to how we're behaving as leaders and how we're respecting our crew respecting the space respecting ourselves even our time and our health prioritizing rest too like that's equally important And I feel like that's something that I learned a lot about through doing this. I want to jump back to this idea of passing the baton. Alex and I really prioritized us passing the baton down. But through this experience, the baton was also passed to us. This was our first time acting in a leadership role at East Creek. We're both regulars there, but we've never really gotten to sit in the driver's seat being the ones making the decisions and calling some of the shots. So I think that just through the process of being in that position, I learned so much about what is important to me as a leader, while also passing that down to others. It feels like a waste if I'm just taking that opportunity and holding it for myself and not passing it down the line, because that's what really what we need is to give the competence, the confidence to the people that are coming up next after us. And I think that fostering an environment where people can ask questions and feel respected and feel truly integrated into the crew is really that common thread that I think can be transferred into other wood fire spaces. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: And I think it should. I think it's high time that that becomes a more common practice. There is a lot of a gatekeeping around certain aspects of firings in terms of who gets to do what and I'm not just speaking of East Creek I'm speaking of wood firing culture across everywhere in that people come from this scarcity mindset of well I earned it I did the hard work I had the difficult mean mentor who taught me to toughen up. And, and, you know, we have artists at East Creek that say exactly this to us. They're like, well, I'm like this because I, I had to be tough because I apprenticed with this person or this, was, this person was my mentor. And that doesn't have to be the case. You don't have to be abusive to create a good artist or a good wood fire by any means.
4: In fact, it's better if you're not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, isn't that what you wished that you had? <laughs> right,
3: when you it's, were coming yeah, up.
4: Yeah,
2: can't we break that cycle together? You know?
4: It's like that sentiment. So, like, sometimes there's some dialogue that I hear where it's like, "Well, I got spanked as a kid, and I'm weirdly <laughs> passive aggressive and nasty now." <laughs> but I'm tough. Yeah, it's like. But I'm yeah. tough. Yeah. It takes a lot. To shift a cycle like that where, yeah, I mean, I had a couple of tough as nails, borderline mean mentors, and it's tough not to just inherit that and pass it on. I mean, I probably was guilty of that along the way at some
0: point. It's easier to continue the cycle, right? Well, it's because it's what you know. Yeah. Yeah.
4: When that's how you learn, that's what you know in terms of how to teach. And it takes a lot to shift your mindset away from that and be like, no, it's okay to be compassionate mm-hmm. and it's okay to be gentle. Yeah. And it's okay not
0: to put people through boot camp. They call that breaking the mold or something as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like slip casting though. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> a
3: spin-off <laughs> podcast
2: called Breaking the Mold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be so cute.
1: You know, I was thinking about Twig what you were talking about with the passing of the baton and I I wanted to ask a question thinking about the lead up to this firing and some logistical thoughts around how you thought about that and the things that you did to prepare yourselves, as well as prepare the people who are participating, like the leaders, the people who were coming, those sorts of things.
3: Yeah. Well, as far as the leaders, we decided several months in advance, we were kicking around Who are we going to humbly ask to help us out with the actual logistics of the firing? Because with the chicken cat, we typically split it into four six-hour shifts per day. And the idea was that Alex and I would both lead a six-hour shift. And so then we were trying to think of, well, who else would make sense to elevate into this role with us? Who has been around like us and has been participating a lot? but hasn't really gotten the chance to be bumped up to the next level. So we reached out to a couple of people who fit that mold. Two awesome artists in our community. We reached out to them and they agreed to step up into that role. And then the four of us having never led a shift on this kiln, I think at least several of us never having led a shift, period. I think one of us might have had a little bit more experience, but we knew that we would need a little bit more support around it so that's why we reached out to the really seasoned people in our community that either had a lot of experience firing this kiln specifically or had at least a decade of experience or or more in wood firing to be sort of our plan b in case there was something that came up that us as the new leaders of the charge could not figure out so after looping these people in I think we had two separate meetings. One meeting with our primary shift leads, and then a separate meeting that gathered everyone together who was involved to talk about where we were in the planning of the events and go over some of these themes that have been kicking around to set the expectation of what our goals are going to be and the type of tone that we want to set by creating an educational space. And then, as far as preparing the participants, we had two separate email threads. The idea was to separate them between our our seasoned crew members and then our workshop participants. And the workshop participants, I think almost all of them had never wood fired before. And then many of them had never even worked with Clay. And we had 18 of those. But then there were some other people who heard about the event. We didn't have any more space in the workshop, so we just tacked them onto the crew. But the workshop emails that went out were very pared down very simplified language around, this is what East Creek is. Please read the East Creek handbook. Remember to bring water, food, this and that, just to set the stage for what it's going to be like. And during the workshops, we spent a decent amount of time showing them photos and videos of East Creek, just to prepare them for what they would be walking in on
1: so you tailored the language that you sent out to different groups according to their experience with the space and with wood firing
3: yes in a summary that was what we did cool you can cut out everything else i just said because yeah. that pretty no, much I, that.
1: <laughs> I was thinking it'd be nice because as i was hearing you talk about it, i was like okay like how to explain it and then because the other thing i was thinking about is uh correct me if i'm wrong but with the shifts you had four leaders who hadn't had as much experience leading, but had done some work in firing the kilns. And then was, was everyone paired with someone with a lot of long-term experience as a mentor or like a support if something was needed? Is that how y'all structured that
3: layout? Yeah, that was the structure. Yeah, every shift we had a new lead and then an experienced lead on together to collaborate. Yeah. And then by separating the two groups for the workshop folks, we sent them a little bit more pared down information, but getting at the really important things. And then for our crew, it was a little bit more detailed, some technical information that probably an an inexperienced artist would not know what to do with. And yeah, in our crew email as well, we made sure to prepare people that this isn't going to be a regular firing, there's going to be a lot of new people there. And we want to, Make this an intentionally welcoming space for them. So, setting that expectation was really important to us.
0: And to make sure that all of our participants, because again, this was a lot of people for this kiln, we wanted to build out the whole firing weekend with programming. I'm maybe getting ahead of myself because I think we'll talk about programming in the next episode, but we wanted to make sure that people we prepared. They had stuff to do. We had potluck sign up. We had wood fire pizza oven. Yeah, and we'll go over all of that, but we wanted to be as transparent as possible. I know I am pretty anxious when I am going somewhere for the first time, and since East Creek is not really that close, it's an hour and a half, maybe hour 45 minute drive from Portland, it's not something you can just pop by to check out. I mean, I guess you could, but I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think maybe just getting rid of some of those barriers, too, was helpful.
1: I did want to ask a question, if Mandy, if you were comfortable answering it, because you receive East Creek information and you received information about this firing as a seasoned person. How was that information different or did it feel different to you? And like, what was some of your like thoughts around that?
4: Okay, let me see if I can be succinct. When Twig and I talked in March, I was a little bit alarmed on his behalf <laughs> because, I mean, I thought you had it. I was really confident that you had it. You were going to do it. You were going to pull it off and it was going to be fine. But when you were when you were talking about some of the overwhelm with the sheer numbers of people and, and how to plan the programming and are people going to step up and I knew people were going to step up for you, but I was picturing myself in your shoes and I was like... Oh god, I wouldn't know what to do either. (laughs) So I was on the flip side of that, I was pretty sure you all were going to do fine. This is going to be one of those things where things just fall into place, weirdly. And I say that because I saw that happen with the all-female firing. Things just happened. And I was pretty sure that was what was going to happen for you all, too. And then it did. And I was really happy that it did. You all really blew it out of the water in terms of what you took on and then how you handled it. And I feel like you set the bar way up here, and that's awesome. I'm so glad that you all did everything that you did. But the whole taking on tangential workshops in addition to it, and then bringing in non-clay people, and it turned into this huge thing. And I don't know, like as a participant in the firing, but also like, I felt like I was a little bit of a bystander on it, too. And it was really amazing to watch the the efforts that you all pulled together. and A little bit from the outside looking in, it looked like such a huge thing, and I think it was.
1: I will say one thing is things definitely fell together in a really beautiful way. But there is this Google Drive, shared drive that has information. We started collecting and doing some grant writing stuff in there. And I went in there the other day to try and find a little information about something. And there are so many planning documents, thoughtful things, so much background work. And I just like I hadn't opened it. It had like five things when I started looking at it. And then I looked at it post firing and was like, Oh, my God, the amount of hours of making documents and organizing and thinking about every single thing, it fell into place because y'all made a place for everything to fall to, for sure.
4: Right. Um- yeah. And I, I mean, really, it can't be said enough how much of that effort was essential to pulling off how everything played out and that your planning was Olympian in nature. And Twig, what you're talking about with that euphoria of the imposter syndrome going in and then realizing that the barriers that we don't even think about actively were just lifted. I remember those feelings from the 2019 firing. It was just like, man, I had no idea how tamped down we were on some of our feelings and and also our assertiveness and our ability to function in a space, you don't realize what those hindrances are sometimes until they're gone. And so I'm thrilled that another event has taken place where all of those barriers were just lifted and everybody felt great Yeah. <laughs> and had a really lovely time. Or they seemed, I was there for a very limited time for the listener's sake. I was doing another firing at the same time in a different location. So I, my participation was unfortunately a little bit truncated. But the time that I was there, I mean, it was just Easy. Yeah, I was worried about how many people were around because I have a hard time in big crowds like that. But it just that crowd was terrific and, and everybody in it was terrific. And, and it just seemed like there was a flow going on that just seemed really natural and that people just seemed attuned to. And I was like, okay, it's time to go get more wood. And five people ran to get more wood. You know, or... <laughs> yeah, that was, was so like... helpful.
1: They're like, we've been waiting.
4: <laughs> I didn't chop a single piece of wood while I was there because all the axes were taken up already. The exuberance to see the thing through was there. And I remember that from 2019, too. So it was heartening to see a repeat of that spirit happening, largely for the same reason of creating the space and putting a lot of effort into that space. and making sure people were there, were happy to be there, were excited to be there. I I have this thing about wood firing. When I consider wood firing and whether to do a firing or whether not to, wood firing is a lot of things. It's expensive, it's hard work, it's labor intensive, and it takes a lot of time. When you're doing an onagama firing, that's that's a week of firing and then two more weekends of your time.
1: And it's a gamble because you don't even know if
4: everything's going to come. And it's a gamble <laughs> on the work because, you know, you, you typically lose a good 30% of the work you put in. So you know that's coming. And so on top of that, it has to be fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: If people are going to do it, it has to be fun and it has to be welcoming and it has to be accessible. But that fun factor is so important because there's a lot going against wood firing that if it's not fun all of that becomes punishment instead. It's so vital. Fun seems like a trivial word, but it's vital for people to have a good time doing it. And so you all did great on that. Everybody there had a really good time doing it and they're going to be back. And that's what you want.
3: (laughs) If any listeners need some ideas on how to make your wood firing event more fun, just get a karaoke machine. I think it was like 60 bucks at Target. (laughs) <laughs> made a huge difference to the budget
0: and the athletic chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for our show today. We'd like to thank our special guests, Twig and Mindy, for making time and space for us today. Aubrey and Mandy for co-hosting another episode with me and you, our listeners, for supporting us in our very healthy obsession with wood firing and wood fire culture. Thank you to Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo and to Joshua Clausen for our music. You can find them both on Facebook and Joshua is also on SoundCloud. Like what you've been hearing? Leave a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and many other major podcasting platforms. Questions, comments, or concerns? Find us on Instagram at heatworkpodcast or send us an email at heatworkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, stay tuned for an amazing documentary about Queer cat itself created by our friends Ty and Shy, who filmed and interviewed during the event. Until next time, Happy firing!